0: Hello, Jan Staukacz here. Welcome to the Tax Stories podcast. In today's episode, I will speak to Mr. Carl Berlin, Vice President of Orsted, a global leader in the renewable energy business. Today, we will talk with him about football, about tax story of his choice, why he started to work with taxation, even though in the law school tax seemed to be a boring topic. We will speak about uh, good and bad examples of tax systems and tax authorities globally, on transformation of his company from black to green one, as he explained it, and of course about then, now, and the future of the taxation systems. So stay tuned. Here we go. So I will start with a small introduction that uh, you're a vice president and head of tax of Orsted, yeah. Danish and global company. Uh, you were about 10 years uh, also uh, working with tax issues at Maersk. Uh, by nationality, you're Swede, right?
1: Yes, that's uh, correct.
0: Working in Denmark for so long. Working in Denmark
1: um it was just after after university I went to law school in in Uppsala where I'm where I'm originally from as well I I, I saw an ad from from Maersk where they were looking for for new law graduates to join their group tax team and I thought Merck was a very interesting company and I asked my boyfriend if if he would uh, if he would like to move to Copenhagen with me and and he said yes so we uh, mm. so I applied for the job and we moved and and um, yeah I spent 10 years with Merck, working with, with different uh, business units and different tax issues. And, and then four years ago, I was uh, asked to, to join Aster uh, uh, or Dong Energy as, as the company was called back then to, um, to take up the position as head of tax for their tax department and, and take them on the uh, globalization the company was, was entering into.
0: From your LinkedIn, I saw that that you were also in SIDEP in the tax leadership program. What's your impression of the program uh, and, and uh, your memories uh, of uh, visiting Fontainebleau?
1: Really nice place and and a fantastic couple of days. Um, it's, it's the first and I think the only education that was tailor-made for tax leaders because it's, I, I guess, a lot of people say the same about their role, but what you're, as a head of tax or a tax leader, you're leading highly specialized people who are all very often, experts in in narrow fields, and and you yourself as a tax leader have to be an expert as well. But you, so, how do you combine being a technical expert and leading experts? It's a very complex field, and tax is also incredibly complex and increasingly so how do you manage your stakeholders and explaining that well tax has never been black and white but it's getting increasingly gray and 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 the future is incredibly uncertain so how do you navigate that how do you manage your stakeholders so so I've, I think it was a fantastic education.
0: I fully agree. I, I was there in this program as well. I really enjoyed my time there. Anything else about yourself that you would like to highlight to our listeners?
1: No, that's yeah. a pretty good uh, introduction.
0: I also saw that you're a Malmo football club fan. Why yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I live in Malmo. I was actually born in Malmo and, and I live in Malmo now and, and I think it's a fantastic team. And yeah. Um, it creates a very uniting and, and team spirit in the entire city of Malmo. So, so that's a very, it's a very successful football club and, and also a very nice football club. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Speaking of football, uh, how would you mm-hmm. describe these uh, tax scandals uh, around football and image right money lending in offshores? Is it an accident or a dirty business?
1: Well, I'm I'm not really up to speed with what's going on, but it's very clear that a lot of like high net worth individuals and organizations and, and some companies have had tax practices that are not, I think, acceptable from an ethical point of view. Some of them are probably not even legal. It's not something that you that you should accept as a business practitioner or as a fan. I think also the problem might be that, that you have a lot of, especially with, with individuals and, and football clubs, that you don't have the tax expertise in-house so you trust advisors you find advisors and and maybe your judgment in choosing your advisors has been the best and and they present ideas or setups that that you have no idea whether it's uh, whether it's um, a good idea not but you trust your advice and and in some instances maybe you shouldn't have
0: I realise this is not an area we, where probably you expected us to go but uh, yeah, yesterday a Latvian national team was playing and it lost uh, again to Montenegro okay, I yeah. Swe- Swedish team I saw is playing uh, tonight but what's your what's your impression is tax an area that impacts uh, the fact that smaller countries for them it's harder to get into some uh, playoffs in the Champions League, in the World Cup and so on? I
1: have no idea. To a certain extent, I think it probably relates to that they have a much smaller pool of professional footballers to uh, to draw from when it comes to, to, to national championships, right?
0: Somehow, it was uh, quite miserable to see that now for, for 20 or more years, uh, our national team is just playing in defence and I don't see... A way out, to be honest. Swedish team is, is quite successful in that sense.
1: Well, are we? I don't know. I mean, the, the biggest achievement was the bronze in the World Cup in
0: 1994. <laughs> yeah, but still you're, you're playing football that is, is really people like to watch it.
1: I, I've, I've never heard Swedish football being described that way before. <laughs>
0: All right. I'm a fan of Swedish uh, national team, so uh, no doubt about that.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, As our podcast is called uh, Text Stories, uh, Mm -hmm. is there a text story that comes to your mind, uh, either from practice, literature, from movies, anything you've seen?
1: Well, a funny thing, I think, is uh, when the... uh, Film The Accountant came up with uh, Ben Affleck in, two th- in, in 2016, yeah. uh, about this guy who's a hitman but also an accountant. And after that, some people who had previously thought that well, working with tax must be the most boring job in the world, they were like, "Is that really what you're doing?" It's like, "No, not really." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I haven't seen what, that one. Uh, should... Oh, it's
1: it's well worth the watch. It's a great movie. Yeah.
0: Going back to your beginnings at Uppsala uh, mm-hmm. University, uh, you were uh, teaching on procedural law. How did you start to switch to tax?
1: So that, that might be a funny story as well, because I, I, I did uh, all the deep dives at law I did in procedural. And I taught procedural law and I wrote my thesis on procedural law and and I was thinking of of where to take my career as I was graduating and I was considering doing a PhD in in procedural law. But um, that would entail another five years at the Faculty of Law and I wasn't sure I really wanted that. And then I just stumbled across uh, this ad from Maersk that they were looking for graduates. And I thought Maersk was a really cool company, but I will be very honest. And I thought tax was one of the most boring subjects in law school. And um, I was never really great at at the accounting part of tax. But but I thought, well, hey, I'll give it a shot. Maersk is a very interesting company. If I don't really like it, I'm sure as soon as I get my foot in, I can find something more interesting to work with at the company. But very quickly, I realized that that tax in practice was quite different from the tax law you learn at, at law school. And um, it was just so interesting. And you you got to know the business in in such a detail and and meet with so many different people. And it's also a very international company. And so so you get to deal with advisors and tax authorities and business people from all over the world. And, And I was just enthralled. It was so exciting. I never wanted to do something else.
0: Yeah I wonder why this is uh, some sort of general perception that tax is boring yeah. and and uh, nobody wants to go into
1: that Yeah situation. no it's 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 not at all boring because it it combines finance and law and as a lawyer I find that really interesting and in order to be able to be a good tax advisor or a tax manager for a company, you really need to understand the business, what the business is about, the value drivers and and, and processes and and what the customers are looking for and how the technical parts are working and, and so on. So so you really get to dive deep into the the core of the business and meet with a lot of people. So so I I think it's it's a fantastic uh, field. But of course, it can also be super frustrating because it's, as I said in the beginning, uh, tax law is not black and white. It's a lot of grey zones, so you need to understand how to navigate in it. Laws are constantly changing. Uh, You have a lot of mismatches between countries and treaties might not be dealing with it. You get unilateral measures and Tax authorities that sometimes take a very fiscal approach instead of trying to find the, the right solution. So for some people, it could be like Sisyphus trying to roll up a stone on, on, uh, up the hill and it's just falling back over again. But but it's it's also, I think, a, a great reward when you have this super challenging problem and you manage to solve it in the best interest of the company and the, and the society you work in and, and you find a good solution to something really difficult. That's so rewarding.
0: Especially if you see some different cultures. Yeah. I saw that you're opening up a project in Taiwan. Uh, how would you compare, I don't know, what, uh, what are the best tax systems or tax authorities you have seen in your uh, career what uh, uh, comes to your mind i guess uh, taiwan might have uh, some special features in, in their system
1: well not not, not really i, I think it, it's a pretty standard uh, tax system with with the exception of having which you you sometimes see in 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 asian countries but also in in, in african countries uh, where you have like stir taxes on on profits not distributed and you have a lot of withholding taxes which i think i can understand why you have the withholding taxes but i think the detrimental to business and to the economy in general but i would say a, a the tax authority that that has always struck me as extremely professional and very competent is the UK HMRC. Really, really technically skilled people. Also, when you have disagreements, I mean, discussions are conducted in a very, very professional manner and and you can have professional disagreement and you can see where they're coming from. And and, um, I think the various ways of work with dispute resolutions in in the UK is is quite um, well designed.
0: And their guidelines are well developed.
1: very inspiring and written in, um, in a way that I think uh, a lot of non-tax people would understand as well.
0: To be honest, I, I have a feeling that I'm speaking to Bill Gates of Energy Business, your vice president <laughs> of Orsted. Uh, tell me and our listeners more about Orsted.
1: Well, Ørsted is, is a Danish multinational. It's the world leader in, in renewable energy. It's, it's listed on the Copenhagen Stock Exchange. And the, the primary areas of renewable energy that the company works in is, is offshore wind, where the company is, is the world leader in installed capacity. We also have a lot of business in, in onshore wind. We have some bioenergy solutions. And we're also looking into to hydrogen now. If you look at the company 10 years ago, It was a 100% state-owned utility company, primarily having uh, coal-fired power plants and heat and power plants. We had oil and gas operations in in Norway, Denmark and the UK, and it was uh, a very black company. At a point in time the the company decided that that this is not the future it cannot be the future we have to transform ourselves completely and the company started a transformation process which culminated in in 2017 where up until then we had developed the offshore wind business and in 2017 we we finally divested uh, the last of the oil and gas business and we changed the name to to Austin from from Dong Energy as we were called previously which stood for Danish Oil and Natural Gas Company and um Today, we're the world's most sustainable uh, energy company. We're the second most sustainable company in the world. And I think sustainability, its well, it's the core of our business, the sustainable energy, but, but we apply it to everything we do, including taxes. We were the first Danish company to voluntarily uh, disclose country-by-country reporting in 2018. And uh, this year, we we're the first company in the world to start following uh, the Global Reporting Initiative's uh, new tax standards, so the GRI 207 tax, where we now have a very comprehensive tax note in the annual report and, and and quite a comprehensive tax policy as well. So we really try to be at the forefront of, of sustainable tax and this is, of course, the external point of view. So this is us reporting what we do. But behind all that is, of course, also very sustainable tax practices in the company. And I think that's why it's so easy for us to publicly report on, on tax positions and disputes that we have with tax authorities, because we have established a very clear framework for how we deal with taxes. Um, so it's signed off all the way up to the top on what our approach to, to taxes. is.
0: I can imagine it's not uh, easy to comply with this uh, country by country initiative you were uh, mentioning. And uh, if I look at the latest trends, uh, I can see that, for example, Poland just introduced an obligation to publish annual tax strategies. Now, this B team's uh, responsible tax principles are, are very Progressive in in transparency and disclosing all all about the business about the companies they have uh, in different parts of the world. I can imagine that's quite a complex task to do this disclosure procedure. But how is it uh, from competition point of view that you are basically you know, on front lines doing something new that others are not doing at least yet? Is it difficult to compete against the others then?
1: Well, the, the short answer is no, and I'll explain why. Uh, and It is not easy to publish the country-by-country report. We decided in early 2020 that we wanted to follow Uh, gri 207 tax uh, standard and we spent a very large part of of 2020 on designing processes and identifying the information that we needed to pull up and how to present it and make it reconcilable with with the other information in the annual report but why i don't think it's a competitive uh, issue is is that if you look at at most stock listed companies annual report they tell a lot about the business and your positions in various regions uh, already so it's it's not a lot of new information that we give we may maybe give a little bit more detail about the tax situation but at the end of the day our view is also that tax should not be a competitive uh, advantage of a company if we have a large business in 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 a country we will either pay a lot of tax because we make a lot of money or we will not pay a lot of tax because we've made huge investments and we'll will have built up tax assets so so yeah we invested in in wind farms so we have tax depreciations if we explain that in table and text i think a lot of people will understand well that's how it is it's it's nothing odd about that and you will also deal with a lot of misunderstandings and and people making assumptions of why you're paying a certain amount why you're not paying a certain amount so it's also just to be open and transparent I, i think that that might be a competitive advantage in itself actually you don't need to spend a lot of energy on discussing your tax affairs because it's all laid out.
0: We're discussing with some of the clients uh, about uh, public procurements here uh, that uh, it's very difficult to compete uh, for those who are paying fully all uh, and complying with all the tax requirements, those who are not. Uh, and uh, I truly believe in this uh, transparency as a future for tax. Yeah. And you also think it's a future for... Uh,
1: oh, I, I absolutely. Have- absolutely think it's the future and I think it would be a a license to operate uh, basically in in, in many areas I mean your your customers and stakeholders and governments and regulators will look at what approach you have to tax and and if you're transparent I mean that's the first gate to pass and if you're not well I, I think you will you will not invite it to the table in in the future.
0: Tell me more about this uh, B team and uh, this uh, responsible tax principles project. How did you come about this?
1: Well we've recently just signed up to the b team's uh, responsible tax principles but but after we decided to to follow. The GRI 207 and and, and and published the annual report, uh, we were approached, uh, I was approached by, by the B team and they asked if we wanted to, to join up and, and we discussed in the company and, and, and thought it would be a really good idea. There's a lot of really interesting companies uh, working in the B team tax group and, and we thought that we could have something to contribute and we could also probably get a lot of good input and, and information from, from the other company.
0: And how to push the others, uh, your competitors to do the same and your the other countries to do the same.
1: Well, I'm a great believer in, in leading by example. And mm. if we do something in a lot of other companies, I mean we also take inspiration for what other companies are doing. And I, I think some companies are having fantastic tax presentation. And, and one company that springs to mind is, is Repsol, for example, their tax report is really interesting and very transparent. Th- that's how I think it works that, that some companies lead by, by example and, and others will, will follow and then might be lead with by example on another issue and, and we all get better from that and 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 also, I think that that's going forward, we might see more and more legal requirements on, on transparency. And whether that's a good idea, I think it depends on how it's um, that depends on the details. My fear is that we will see a lot of unilateral measures and, and details that have to be provided that are not uh, aligned with with IFRS reporting for example so there are a lot of different numbers flying around and we will have to spend a lot of time on reconciling and explaining those numbers and, and to be honest there's not a lot of value added in that
0: and a part of that transparency and uh, publications of the uh, CBC and uh, the annual tax strategies and so on what else do you see as the future of taxation uh, what it might bring um, some some other news.
1: I think the area of transfer pricing is, is super interesting and and where will that go? And and I mean look at, at the work being done in pillar one and pillar two and you have a lot of unilateral measures and and will there be an arm's length in the future or will we see more formal apportionment or will we see a mix? And how should we how will we be able to comply with that? I think that's one of the biggest challenges for 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 a lot of companies in the future. How will we be able to comply with all the different Requirements and, and different rules and regulations in, in various countries, and, and also how do we protect the company from the increasing risk of double or triple taxation when, when we have a lot of unilateral measures designed not to be covered by tax treaties and not aligned with international standards? That I think will be uh, the biggest. And how do we explain uh, those positions to the general public and to the regulators? Uh, I think that will. Be a big challenge or is a big challenge already
0: to be honest these are completely different worlds i can imagine uh, when you were working for Myersk uh, started in 2007 and now at orsted how, how would you compare what has changed in practice of uh, in-house uh, and head of tax in your daily life
1: back then in 2007 no one was interested in tax so tax was uh, despite it's it also back then being a very interesting field the tax departments were typically in a dusty corner of the accounting department and, and just doing our thing. But then come the financial crisis in, in, in 2008, 2009, and, and this, the, this bigger interest for tax is coming and you have some scandals uh, exploding and, and, and all of a sudden you can see that that's more and more people are interested in tax and responsible tax. So tax people get a seat at the table because it becomes important for the companies how how their approach to tax is and how it's perceived by, by regulators and, and the general public. So tax today is, is something on that everyone has an opinion of. It's a board-level issue today, which it wasn't uh, 15 years ago.
0: And this public uh, screaming about paying fair share, is, is that a myth or uh, becoming a reality?
1: Well, a lot of people are still talking about a fair share. So that is, of course, uh, it's very much reality. But what the fair share is, I think that's very subjective. That's extremely difficult to say what, what the fair share is. I think taxes is both, a, it's a legal issue, of course, but it's also an ethical issue. The legal issue is, of course, what tax rate you apply, in which country do you pay your tax, what's the timing of paying your tax, and, and what does the law and various rules and regulations say. But these rules and regulations often come with a choice, how you interpret them and how you apply them. That's where the ethical part comes in. The choices you make might lead you to having a fair approach or a sustainable approach uh, to tax or not. But I think why we've had a a very heated debate um, on tax and fair share is because it's been very one-sided, the debate. Uh, Companies have not been willing to engage because we have probably thought the tax is such a complicated and complex manner. But precisely because it is so complicated and complex, I think we have to participate in the debate and explain how we see the tax rules and the choices we make and put forward our positions. And that will bring the information level in the debate to a much higher level so we all understand what really we're talking about. Because if we're only talking about you have to pay your fair share, that is not very fruitful I think because it will not lead to anything but if we talk about well this is the tax rules and these are the choices we've made and that has led to us paying this amount of tax or we have a double tax issue between these countries because this country interprets the legislation this way, the other country does it this way, we've seen it this way. If you can explain these positions, you bring a lot more information to the debate, and and I think it will be better and the outcomes will be better as well.
0: If we speak about the fair share, of course, uh, the public debate, and it's mostly journalists uh, bringing this debate, one part is about offshores, and uh, I've seen lately this uh, five-step test by Tax Justice Network, uh, where they are trying to indicate uh, to the countries that this uh, EU blacklist of offshores is not enough and the countries should be doing uh, this five-step test in order to determine at least if the countries should withhold their uh, support to companies uh, by this uh, uh, COVID-19 crisis support or not. And uh, I can uh, just briefly go through the five steps. Is that Mm -hmm. first, uh, it it says that uh, does a corporate group have a subsidiary in top 10 of financial secrecy index Mm -hmm. uh, countries. And those top 10 are Cayman, USA, Switzerland, Hong Kong, Singapore, Luxembourg, Japan, Netherlands, BVI, and Arab Emirates. And if one of the five uh, criteria is met, then basically the journalists are suggesting not to pay this support. uh, support. Do you see that this will push through some more initiatives to finally get Rid of tax avoidance and evasion through offshores, or it's just cat and mouse game, and those who want to hide, they will hide anyway.
1: This might might also be an example of why I think the debate is is one sided or not very informed. Because, yes, there are companies and individuals hiding profits in financial secrecy jurisdictions, but I mean, if you look at these 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 countries, that there, there can be a number of reasons why you have a subsidiary in any of those countries, and most of them would be good commercial reasons I mean Singapore it's it's a hub you have you have access to a lot of educated really really intelligent people you have a well-established insurance network finance you have shipping you have ports why wouldn't you have a, a subsidiary in Singapore if, if you have business in, in Singapore or in the region
0: they're saying that if they're are companies in those regions, they must publish a CBC report to demonstrate legitimate reasons. So, which makes sense in, in fact.
1: It is actually in the company's general interest to, to ensure that, well, the subsidiaries that you have are there for, for good sound commercial reasons. And if they are, you can tell about them. If they're not, if you if if you don't have good sound commercial reasons for a for a subsidiary and you can't tell about it. Well, I think maybe you have a problem. I
0: can imagine that. Actually, there are uh, many companies just uh, mm. simply hiding the profits there.
1: My take, and also Ersten's take on on tax, is that we as companies are very dependent on the societies in which we operate, and societies are are very dependent on competitive and healthy business. And when I say we're dependent on, on, on healthy societies, I mean, I mean, we draw on on, on an ed- we need an educated workforce, we need infrastructure. Be it roads or airports, hospitals, uh, etc. We need well-functioning societies to 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 be able to operate, and such well-functioning societies come at a cost, and and we pay that cost through tax. So for us, and and I think it's natural for companies to actually where they make profits in those countries that they operate in. You should pay the tax that accumulates on that profit in in that in that country. If you instead make very contrived structures and set up agreements in place to shift profits away from those countries in which you actually do operations into countries where you have no real operations, but you have a subsidiary purely for tax reasons.
0: In one of the earlier episodes, I, I was speaking to a professor in UK. She mm-hmm. suggested that uh, one of the solutions could be to switch the corporate tax system to countries where the customer base is located. So that then it doesn't make sense anymore to hide anywhere profits.
1: But, but then you have countries like my native Sweden, for example, mm-hmm. where we have a lot of engineers and, and a lot of uh, manufacturers companies and we we export uh, everything we produce. We have 10 million people in Sweden. It's a very small market. Why should not Sweden get the tax or a part of the tax from all the people working in Sweden and, and creating inventions and products that we can sell out in the world. Sweden has put their infrastructure in place for, for companies to be able to thrive and, and, and have innovation. So that is could be a solution for, for some jurisdictions or for some products, but I think...
0: So your prediction is that the system will stay stable as it was?
1: Do you, do you think it's stable?
0: <laughs> yeah, comparably, of course.
1: What we will see and what we are seeing it's probably when it comes to business or industries without really a fixed base, like internet-based uh, businesses and, and where you're highly dependent on algorithms and innovations, and but not, but maybe not really rely on, on people. We will see changes in, in international taxation of such business, I think.
0: Uh, you are now considering... A- project in the baltic sea Mm -hmm. how do you see that region developing and why now are you looking at the baltics
1: Uh, why we're looking at the baltics is because we've identified a market i'm not too much into the details about the tax world in in the baltics so i i can't really say but that's maybe also illustrative of, of how we do business i mean it's our market people our business people they identify market opportunities. And then we tag along as tax people or legal people or, or other support functions and investigate what is the tax regime in these countries. So how will that work when, when we set up business? It's not like we, from a tax point of view, come and say, well, this is a good jurisdiction. You should build a wind farm here because there's very low tax. I mean, that's not how it works.
0: So, so you see the Baltic region developing for uh, quite quite well right yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: we already touched upon this a little bit uh, this uh, pillar one pillar two digital business uncertainty what's your prediction how it will be resolved
1: my hope is that countries will come to uh, to an agreement an international agreement and international standards i mean it will be very complicated no matter what but if we have a an international standard then we can deal with it My fear is that we don't get an international standard, but we get a lot of unilateral measures inspired by various BEPS actions. And that will be an absolute nightmare to deal with because then you have different rules and different ways of applying and interpreting the rules at a much bigger scale than what we have today and that would be extremely difficult to deal with and, and risk a lot of double taxation and, and disputes that are not resolved and and at the end of the day it will hinder business it will hinder competition it might lead to a lot higher cost for the end consumer and and lower economic growth um, for the country. So so that is that is a big fear I have. But I hope that we'll see a, an international alignment on on, on also developing uh, new tax standards.
0: So some of the countries are running in front of OECD development, mm-hmm. so probably yeah. it's a challenge. My last question about taxation is that yeah. you are in, in green energy and how do you see the environmental taxes uh, developing? Uh, will there be some other material developments in uh, developing some new taxes or new aspects? of taxation?
1: I think to be honest, what we see today is that fossil fuel is subsidized by countries because of, of very low, heavy polluters pay very low CO2 taxes. There are tax regimes in place designed for the oil and gas industry that, that is beneficial. Whereas we see green energy, it's a new industry and it's not as big. So we, we don't have as much clouds. We're sometimes in the hands of, of, of more fiscal approach than a supportive approach. But I think that if we really want to succeed with the green transformation, polluters will have to start paying the price of actually what it costs to pollute, and and we don't today. And tax can be a really great way of ensuring that, that, that you price the pollution uh, at the appropriate level.
0: I, I can see from my kids that they are very concerned about the environmental issues, mm-hmm. and, and I think that... Uh, with this transparency and uh, and environmental sustainability, this is the future how most of the companies... And
1: that's also why we've been so active in, in, in the public consultation process on, for example, Pillar 1 and Pillar 2, but also in, in the Danish debate on, on proposed new CFC legislation. We show that, well, if you introduce these rules, they have a risk of creating knock-on effects on, on, on the green energy transformation because... And, and we see that as colliding with the other policy objective of of actually achieving the green transformation so that's also how we try to contribute to the debate
0: we're almost running out of time and uh, it's been i'm running out of battery
1: on my phone yeah
0: it's been a great pleasure talking to you I, I'm finishing my podcast with a personal question, if I may. And uh, yeah, sure. I'm approaching 50, so I'm uh, starting to ask myself a lot of different uh, new questions. And, and yeah. one of them yeah. is uh, meaning of life. What's your perspective? Oh, the meaning of yeah. life.
1: Mm, gosh, I think, well, I mean, it, it sounds very hippie, maybe. But I think if you try to be nice to yourself and be nice to other people, and be nice to the earth we're living on i think you will have a very fulfilled life and that is probably the meaning of life to be fulfilled and and to achieve happiness for for you and the people around you by by acting in a nice way
0: great words so uh, <laughs> what a great way to finish our interview i and...
1: i think it's been fascinating and that and i really appreciate this this initiative and i, I think it's been super fascinating to talk with you and and i'm really grateful that that you asked me to participate
0: fantastic Carl. it's been a great pleasure Well, thank you for listening to this Tax Stories episode. This was Carl Berlin, Vice President and uh, Head of Tax of Orsted, a global leader in renewable energy business. I would like to remind you that there is an email address, taxstoriespod at gmail.com, where you can send your stories too. So maybe you can become a part of the Tax Stories episode. Until the next episode, goodbye.